And then tell me, um, Alistair is your um, support worker. Um, how, how does he support you in your employment? He is really good at knowing connections to people, getting me to workplaces all across Adelaide. And he's been my PA and PR. Wow, he handles all the media inquiries, doesn't he? I know yeah. he did with me. <laughs> I, had, I had to go through Alistair to get to the event. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. George Salaforis, and welcome to Rizal Necessary, a Spanish period podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Code. Brought to you by the Song Foundation. But before we go any further, please do me a favor and hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, and select the notification bell so you can be notified of future episodes. On today's episode, we're joined by Donna Sell and Jenny Hodges from the NDIA and NDIA participant Ben Payer to talk about how you can use your NDIA funding to find and maintain employment. We will also look at what employers can do to get more disabled people into meaningful work. Check it out. Hi, Donna and Jeannie. Welcome to the show. Thank you, George. Hi, George. Thanks. Now, how about we start by introducing ourselves? Uh, Donna, can I start with you? Sure. So I'm Donna Purcell. Um, I'm the participant advocate at the NDIA. Um, and I have also just returned from doing a Churchill Fellowship where my topic was on employment. So I'm really excited to be having this discussion with you today. Um, also, I'd just like to let um, our listeners know that I am a person who is legally blind. All right, welcome, Donna. Jamie. Yes, thanks, George. Yeah, George, I've been in the NDIS since 2013 at the Barwon trial site and before that also worked in disability employment uh, for CRS Australia. So I have a long history in disability employment and an absolute passion uh, in trying to do what I can to make a difference. Um, I was involved in the school leave employment support rollout within the agency and at the moment I'm a director in the employment outcomes branch and I my main job at the moment is a refresh of our participant employment strategy. Awesome. I love the idea of a blue, refreshed strategy. Nothing makes me more excited than that, and I think we're going to talk a bit about that shortly. How about we start uh, by getting into how the NDIS can support people to find and maintain employment? So, Jimmy, help us understand a bit about that. Yeah, okay. There's, there's essentially sort of three different types of support, main ways that, are, that the NDIs can support people with getting into employment. Um, one of the first ways, of course, is by having good planning conversations and good resources for participants to understand what we can do and how we can support you. So we've got to get information out there. In terms of what the NDIS can practically do in a person's plan, there are... Um, a couple of different types of employment support and, George, shall I just run run through them briefly? 
Sure, I'd love to hear about them. Good, great, okay. So the main ones, if we break them apart, uh, the the main one is what we call a capacity building support. And if people have got uh, this in their plans, it's under what we call finding and keeping a job. So think about these supports as supports for growth and learning. So they're typically sort of time limited. They might go for a couple of years within a person's plan. And it's all about growing skills, about growing confidence, about learning about what work means for you. Um, it could be um, doing things like having good, great work experience. Um, it also can be things like um, travel training and learning how to manage money and working along in a team. It can also be when you're at a job um, and there's some challenging situations or you want to change your job or uh, focus on career development. So that growth and learning, think about that. The other type of support is what we call school leaver employment supports, which is part of that. So that's specifically for young people to, as they move from school to work. There's one other support in there that people might have seen and it's called um, employment related assessment and counselling. It's not used a lot in the scheme but it's a really important support. So imagine someone who might need to find a new pathway to work. So someone for example like a builder who um, receives an acquired brain injury through an accident. They really need help to understand what they can still do, what they would find challenging to do now, what needs to be changed or be different. So need some really good skills in the sort of assessment and counselling to sort of adjust to the changes in the person's working life. The other main sort of support, so we've got the growth supports and then the other main supports is what we call the on-the-job support. We call them supports and employment. These are the day-to-day -day supports the NDIS can help with when you're at, at work. So when you've got a job and you still need a bit of help day-to-day, -day, uh, the NDIS can support you with that. So they're the main types of things that are direct employment supports, George. Right. Now, earlier in the week, I spoke with Ben and Alistair about how Ben uses his NDIS funding to find and maintain work. Let's take a listen. Hey, Alistair and Ben. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey, George. Ben, can I start with you? Can you tell us a bit about yourself? I live with two disabilities, Down syndrome and autism. I uh, own three businesses and uh, I am in uh, two uh, NDIS reference groups. Ah, excellent. Well, tell us about your, your businesses. What do you do? I do uh, apparel, which is what you're looking at at the moment. This one, be nice. Ah, cool. And also, we have a cap and oh. a mug. Cool. And do sell those on online, or how does, well, how does it work? Well, yes, we are. And how did you decide to start your own business? It started with a uh, yeah, retail store that I went to. Uh, to work there. Ah, excellent. How long did you work there for? Four years. Awesome. And how did you end up with that job? My mum had some connections with a couple recently with a, uh, someone with a disability as a child. And someone was about to get a job, but fortunately could not, so they gave it to me. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Ben. And what other work do you do? 
I also, uh, I'm in two uh, NDIS reference groups. I'm in the, the Precipitant Reference Group, PRJ, and also I did the Home and Living Policy too. Awesome, then. I was thinking, can I ask you, how, how do you support them, and how does the NDIS support them to uh, find employment and, and work? Uh, yeah, George, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, fundamentally we've got to acknowledge that, that the NDIS supports Ben through the finances that are accessible through his plan. Um, they're really important to providing Ben with the means for designing his life. Um, and choosing the people and the RTOs that he wants to work with that suit his sort of passions and drives and that he thinks he'll get the best outcome from working with. And I think what, what we're seeing from this experience is we're, we're looking at forward planning so that it's inclusive from the start, not retrospective. And that's a really, I'd like to yeah, compliment the NDS for the change that we're seeing there. Um, so it's, you know, making inclusive by design, yeah. And that's within the industry, out, you know, outside, but also within the NDIS. And then tell me, um, Alistair is your um, support worker. Um, how, how does he support you in your employment and in your work? What does he, what does he do for you? He's very reliable. He is really good at knowing connections to people, getting me to places all across Adelaide. And he's been my PA and PR. So together we've, we've worked to make appointments, plan meetings, um, looking for work, um, negotiating with RTOs around DES support, um, We've also worked together to find employment within, you know, the NDIS and with um, research groups. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a PA. You said that, didn't you? A PA and... And also a PR, yeah. public relations. Nice. Uh, he handles all the media inquiries, doesn't he? I know yeah. he did with me. <laughs> I, had, I had to go through Alistair to get to the event. <laughs> <laughs> What advice would you give other NDIS participants who want to work? If I was you guys, anywhere else, people with disability and it does not matter, what I'm saying is uh, do not go with the disability, be the disability and how it works. Work on the disadvantages. That is what you need to do, be more passionate. Yeah, yeah. I reckon um, the way that I've seen Ben work is that he he uses everything as a strength. So the disadvantages are a strength that you use. Like I have autism and I work through that because uh, managing autism is like managing a business. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I I feel the same way about my disability. Any other advice, guys? Yeah, I reckon um, 
I reckon if you're looking for work, go for it. Um, but dare to dream about what you really want to do, you know, like get to know yourself and, and what really sparks you and then go for it. Like it's, it's available to you. Really go for it and trust that, you know, you, if you want to be employed by somebody, then yes, you can do that and the NDIS can support you to do that. And you can use your NDIS support to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people, uh, connections, yeah. Fantastic. Great outcomes, guys. Thanks for chatting to us today. It's been a pleasure to be with you, George, and um, I've got to say it's a pleasure being here with Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Very beautiful. Getting to know you, George. Oh, you too, Ben. Thanks. See you Bye. See you, George. Wow, that was pretty awesome, wasn't it? What are the reflections on what Ben and Alistair had to say, Donna? George, for me, um, I, I, the thing I really liked um, was the advice around dare to dream. Um, that really resonated with me. Um, I, I think for anyone looking for work, um, it's it's always good to have that that dream of a job that you know will will be um, you know your 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 ultimate job and and it doesn't need to be you know sort of a, a senior role um, you know if you are starting out thinking about where you're you know where you want to be and and have that dream but you might need to take a few steps and and take other jobs along the way to get there um, and and I think also. Um, just how important, um, you know, if you need a support person with you, um, you know, to, to plan for that, um, you know, because I think there's obviously a great relationship between Ben and Alistair and, and where that support is is really important, um, you know, but it also enables Ben to, to do so much more. And I think lastly, just thinking about self-employment. I mean, Ben's obviously been really successful, um, you know, because he set up his own business and that self-employment has really worked for him. Yeah, and I loved how um, Ben, I totally agree with what Ben said when he said that follow the passion. And they're really passionate about um, any reflections from you, Jamie? Yeah, I agree with what you both said. I think the other thing that struck me was um, how well Ben and Alistair use networks. So we know that having good networks in the community and within your own family and everything is really important in employment. It's still the case, with or without disability, most people get their jobs through someone they know or their networks. And so I really like the way that Ben and Alistair used and expanded their networks to make connections out with sort of new employers and new people um, and, and expanded the choice. And it highlighted for me too the fact that you know, the NDIS is fantastic, but it doesn't work as a silo. You know, other things have to happen as well as the, the support an NDIS plan can, can give someone um, to do that. The other thing I think is I think there was a term inclusive by design and, and I really love the way they use that in terms of customised employment. So, you know, it's, it's about... Um, being really intentional in terms of the way that they were thinking about work and customising it and making it as inclusive as they could, that, that you know, drew on Ben's talents. And I think that was a really important aspect of it as well. Yeah, me too. Um, 
I, I'm going to talk a bit about customised employment later. I know that Donna has a lot of knowledge around that in her her research. Um, but I, one thing that I find it hard to get my head around, and I think that other people do, and there's a lot of different government programs in the employment space. Mm. Can you help us with that too? Yeah, I can. Look, this is this is something we still hear that is is quite confusing, and I absolutely understand why. So the the main things that we bump up against, George, in the NDIS, or, or I should say, people bump up against, is what is the Disability Employment Services Program, or DES, um, and the Employment Assistance Fund, or EAF. Um, they're both um, accessed through Job Access, which has you know, got a lot of uh, different resources on it as well. So essentially, if we think about um, the, the DES, they, that's a program that's specifically designed to help people with disability get a job. And there are, would certainly be um, some NDIs participants that would be eligible to enter that program. It does have eligibility criteria. Not all participants will meet that criteria, but some certainly would. Now, whether someone has employment supports in their plan or not doesn't affect your eligibility for DES. Like, it, it doesn't affect it. And so it's not about if you have the NDIS, you can't have DES, and if you have DES, you can't have the NDIS. There's not a rule around that. But what does have to be considered during planning conversations is what's the right sort of support that you need now and into the future that's going to help you achieve your goal. So. Sometimes it is it is a focus on NDIS supports, you know, the ones that I spoke about before. And a lot of the supports the NDIS can do are really that capacity building, that really intense, frequent, goal-oriented supports that help someone particularly get ready for work. So a lot of that sort of confidence building, um, uh, building your skills, those foundation skills that you need to be able to successfully start looking for work with an employer. You know, really understand your interests, understand what you're good at, un get, your get your possible job options up there, um, know what an employer expects of you, be able to travel independently, all those sorts of things. The NDIS has a really key role in that. When someone is, is, is at a point where they're able to work, they're really um, on that pathway, they're starting to work with employers, DES could have a role in that as well, of course. So DES um, has great networks nationally, they work with employers, um, and a good DES will do a lot of work with an NDIS participant to do what we talked about, mentioned before, customised. So they'll, do, uh, they'll work with you to find the right skill sets and to match them with the right job with an employer. Unfortunately, not all DES do that, but a lot do. And so, it, as I said, uh, an NDIS participant certainly should think about a uh, DES program and if it might be right for them and when it's right for them. And their provider or their LAC or their planner can help with some of that discussion around, well, what's the right pathway for you right now? Um, but I think the main thing I want to talk about is that, you know, it's not an either-or. It can be both. It needs to be complementary, not the same, not duplicating services, um, but it, it could, certainly can, can happen. The Employment Assistance Fund is a quite a discrete fund um, that's available for people who are at who've got a job and they need workplace modifications or equipment. So 
obviously the NDIS funds things that are for whole of life. You know, if someone uh, needs some mobility aids, then the NDIS will fund them, of course, for their uh, their work their work life and their home life. But there might be specific things that are needed at work, for example, speech recognition software and so on. The EAF can fund that. And again, a good provider will point uh, both the, the person and the employer in the right direction to know how to apply for those things. Um, but I, I, can I just, because yeah. um, I have real life experience of this stuff and it, it got really confusing in the sense that the NDI said that the, the thing on my wheelchair that controlled my mouth had to be funded by my employer. I, I, just, I, don't, I said to them, I don't just use this um, at work, I use it at home. And um, clearly our disabilities uh, with us, whether we're at home or at work, and I use voice software at, at home to um, talk to my friends online. And mm. um, I also use it at work. So, mm. Mm. you know, yeah. it's, it's not like where you can divide us up into work, the, the work person and the and the um, non-work person. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, yeah, that's right. And it's a, it's a it's a pretty complicated space too. And when we think about the number of staff and LACs who are doing planning, um, it's it's hard to expect all of them to know all the intricate details of all of these. And that's why we need some extra di additional information. We want people to. Um, to publish information where people, it's much more easy to access information around what can I expect from the NDIS in terms of work equipment and so on and what should I expect under this other employment assistance fund. Um, we need that for participants, we need it for our own staff and we're certainly working on that. Um, and yes, George, it can be complicated if you use equipment both at home and at work, it's not clear cut. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I would um, certainly encourage people to ask the question of the LAC or planner um, and, you know, as I said, look up information in Job Access. It's quite easy to find the Employment Assistance Fund and there's a hotline in Job Access that participants can also get information about what they can get through the Employment Assistance Fund. And, and I hope that people aren't caught in the middle of it. Sometimes they are. It sounds like you have been, George, too. Um, so ultimately, um, we don't want that to happen and we've got to make it clear both to our staff and participants about what they can expect and what we should be doing. Uh, yeah, we, we're part of the strategy, George. One of the pillars is better planning, better consistent planning, better informed planning. So that's the sort of thing we're working with. And do you understand that there is a uh, pilot around employment pathways? Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, George, I should have mentioned that when I was talking before about some of the things that NDIS participants can sort of bump up against. Um, the Pathways Pilot is something that is being led by Department of Social Services, but we're working with them very closely on this. What it's about is recognising that, as you just said, it can be really confusing to understand how the NDIS supports and how their supports might work together, or in fact how NDIS participants, with or without NDIS supports, can make use of a DES program. And so um, what this pilot is about is, uh, in certain locations, um, we'll um, have DES providers and we'll have NDIS participants who volunteer to be part of this um, to say, yeah, look, I really want to be part of something that will help make it much clearer around how DES can support me and NDIS participants to get a job. And so what we'll do is that we'll work very closely with the providers and with the participants uh, through our LACs and our planners and um, facilitate 
the connection to a DES service. Um, as I said, that person may have NDIS supports in their plan as well. So part of the pilot is saying, okay, well, how can these supports from a DES work with the NDIS supports together to make sure that the person gets all the help and supports that they need um, and there aren't any gaps so we're going to learn a lot from this, this pathway pilot and, as it says, the pathway, testing the pathways for NDIS participants to be able to make the best use of other government supports that are available. Um, as I said, um, it's entirely voluntary, um, but we will be, hopefully, in the, in the next half of the year, uh, start reaching out to um, people in those selected areas to see if they're interested. So uh, it would be great if any of our listeners wanted to be part of that. Donna, can I turn to you? We know from the statistics that only 23% of NDR participants are, who are of working age are in paid employment. What's going on here? It's not a great statistic, is it? No, George, it's it's not a great statistic. And unfortunately, you know, sort of, I guess, for our community in more broadly, um, it's not a great s- statistic either where um, that unemployment or underemployment is sitting at about 53%. So, um, and I, I certainly think um, that there's a lot that can be done to fix that. Um, I know a lot of our participants have employment in their plans, um, but for those who don't, um, who do want to work, um, and certainly that's something you know I, I encourage people um, to to think about when they are doing their next plan um, to look at um, perhaps putting some more formal supports in there to help on that journey. Um, I think the other. The other thing is um, employers themselves um, um, have a, a role to play as as well. Um, and, and I think often employers, you know, think about people with disability and, and think about trying to fit people into standard job roles. Um, I think if employers could think outside of the square a little bit and rather than think, well, we've got these solicitor jobs, um, you know, and that's not going to work, um, you know, or we don't have jobs suited for people with disability, I, I'd like to encourage people to take a step back and, and, um, and, and think about about job customisation. Um, and what that means is really tailoring jobs um, to, to fit uh, around skill gaps within an, a workplace, uh, but where that is then matched um, with someone with disability who has some skills um, and, and areas of work that they'd like to do and pulling that all together. Um, and it, it can be it can be really simple. Um, there's some organisations you know that are doing this well in Australia, um, but it was something that um, a lot of organisations were doing um, when I visited um, New York in particular for my Churchill Fellowship. A lot of the support organisations were were really specialising in this and and having huge success. Um, and how, how it works, just some of the, the, the main steps are um, firstly finding an employer who is willing to customise a job or tailor a job for a person. And that is often by an employer just looking at all of the things that 
they need done but nobody does because there's always those things in all of our jobs that the things that we just don't get around to doing or don't like doing and that we keep sort of pushing to the back to like I'll do that tomorrow and so there's a whole lot of tasks you know that that fit into that you know I don't have time to do basket um, that may be things that a person with disability could do and then it's about going on a, a I guess a uh, what is called a, a, a discovery um, journey with a person with disability. And it's looking at all the things that they can do and the things that they like to do. And, and then hopefully um, there's a match between what employers have to offer and what that skill set and the likes to do are for that person with disability and bringing that all together and designing a job that's going to both fit the needs of the organisation and um, fit the, the needs of the person with disability. And I know I've simplified it, um, you know, yeah. but essentially, um, you know, that's how it all works. And there have been some really successful, um, you know, opportunities, some really great jobs come out of that approach. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Is the NDAA going to be doing this? Oh, George, not at the moment, um, but it's a great idea. Um, so, yeah, maybe I need to do some influencing. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope so. Now, you did spend a lot of time um, overseas looking at how to improve uh, the employment mm -hmm. outcomes. We're very low in Australia in the number of people disabilities in employment. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in you, apart from customised employment, what else do we need to see uh, change? Hmm. Yeah, uh, look, I did meet with a, a lot of organisations um, um, you know, in a number of countries. Um, so I did um, visit um, the, the US, um, UK, um, Switzerland and, and France and I met with 22 organisations um, all up um, during my travel and from that George um, there, there were three key themes um, that, that I think kept coming up um, you know with almost every organisation um, that I met with um, where I, I guess that success um, was was being had um, the first one um, was around leadership and and really just having a, a senior leader um, who was championing change, um, really championing that employment of people with disability within an organisation. Often that person, you know, was a senior person themselves in several organisations. It was um, the, the CEO and they mightn't have had a disability themselves, but there were several CEOs um, that had children um, with a disability. And so that was the motivation behind. And, and so that was what was leading a lot of the change. The second um, was really um, around that commitment um, to being an inclusive employer and that had a whole range of things involved in it. So it was about um, having that commitment to diversity and inclusion. Um, sometimes it was where there was a, a commitment to having aspirational targets around employing people with disability. It was making sure that things like recruitment practices were accessible so that there were no barriers when it came to applying for roles. And the third area 
was around measurement and targets. So, you know, having a commitment is one thing, but I guess that third piece around being able to track and measure that change, um, to track how many people are coming into your organisation, um, making sure that you're not just employing people, but you're supporting them and maintaining them and not just in the jobs that they come into, um, but also that career development and tracking that as well. And the only way you know you're doing that well and you know, you know that your commitment and your programs are working is to be able to measure and track that. Yeah, I just think there are so many win-win opportunities here for employers and people with disabilities. And, you know, I, I think that COVID and what's happened around people working from home and I think that it's opened a lot of doors and it's shone a light on how important sorry Donna the light's gone off again did you see that I said it shone a light and then Donna's light went off (laughs) 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 Um, it shone a light on how flexible workplaces can give great outcomes for for everyone and not just people with disabilities. I want to go back to the, uh, the NDIS initiatives um, and ask uh, Jamie um, about the uh, particular importance on uh, supporting young people mm. uh, into jobs. And the NDIS has specific um, initiatives in that area, don't you, Jamie? Um, yes, George, that's right. We, we have a support called School Leaver Employment Supports, uh, which is focused on young people and helping them make that, that move, from, particularly from school to work. Um, we, we're doing okay in terms of getting more young people to think about work. Um, as an example, over the, the last sort of three to four years, we've had an increase of 9 or 10% of young people having a work goal, which is great. And at the moment, we've got 57% of people aged 18 to 21 have a work goal, which is really good. But we've got to do more than just set a goal. You know, we've got to support people on, on the, the steps to actually, you know, getting a job. So what we do know um, in with young people is that work experience at school is one really important thing. It's always been a bit of a grey area around the NDIS role in that. Um, that's something that we need to sort of make clearer um, and work out with um, our uh, state and territory uh, partners around education and what's the NDIS role and making sure that kids have good work experience because that's the first exposure. That's the first time that um, young people get a taste of what a, a workplace looks like. Um, we also know that having a job while you're at school um, is is one of the major predictors of, of getting uh, work when you leave school. So we know that, you know, that job that you have um, on the weekends or after school is so important because you learn the things around, you know, hey, mate, put your phone away. You don't do that at work, you know. Don't you swear at work. That's not appropriate. No, you can't. You know, you, so employers are really good at training young people on what to expect from employers. And unfortunately, young people with disability, particularly those who might need that extra support to actually get a job or support at work, miss those sort of early training that those employers can give you. Um, And so 
we also know that statistically by the time someone gets to 25 it becomes really tough for them to get a job if you can get a person in work but you know before the age of 25 their prospects for a, a, a working life on into their continuing adulthood is much better um, Another important thing I just want to highlight is, is um, in, in the scheme, um, we've heard a lot about the young people in the scheme and young people with autism. Um, we actually know that, that in, <clears throat> of the, the participants with autism, um, around 34% of the whole scheme uh, comprise people with autism. What we also know is that 90% of the participants with autism are aged under 25. And so we've got a huge group of young people with autism that we need to make sure we set them on that trajectory to work, you know, on that pathway to work. Um, and so we've got to start early. We've got to start while kids turn, yeah, start, get to working age when they're sort of 14, 15, 16. We've got to start talking to them about work. We've got to get supports in their plan to help them to experience work, to have positive work experiences, to explore work, to establish a future, what I call a future identity as a worker. I was a young person once, too, not part of the world. And <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was at a special school, and I remember they put us all on a a blue bus and took us down the road to the local sheltered workshop and and they got us off the bus and I said, Hey kids, have a look around, this is where you're all gonna work um, when you finish school next year. And it was a factory where people were putting uh, condoms uh, into boxes and weird things that I can do because I'm not that well inclined to do random work mm. and um, uh, clearly there was this culture of you know low expectations around what disabled people mm. are going to do when they finish work. Yeah I agree George and I think but I think a lot of it is um, by doing so we could you know have lots of conversations and parents can have conversations about working and expecting to work but often with young people you know you, they've got to they've got to experience it they've got to experience success while they're young um to be able to really believe yes i can do this and and we're seeing that that culture change i hope uh indeed and you know george it's also a reflection of the times as they were then in terms of how the government funded supports now i'm sure there are many people on that blue bus that could have gone straight into a job been very independent in that job and done great and it just wasn't even thought about there may have been people on the blue bus that might have needed that little bit of extra support at, in work and the only way they could get that was in that factory you know it, the money just wasn't available to be used anywhere else and so this is the great change the NDIS has brought that participants can use money in their plans to support them wherever they work we want we want people to to really understand how they can use their supports and be real find a really great provider who will support them in that goal and work really hard to get them into the job of a job of choice um so that's a really big focus for us as well george i'm so glad you did say that because i think that's what the NDIS when you know we were fighting for it that's what we envisaged that it wasn't about you know places where we went for jobs as disabled people it's about disabled people choosing where we wanted to go and following our dreams and our passions that's mm -hmm. that's the that we that we envisage and it's it's 
certainly important that we hold the NDIS to that. Yeah, no, I think the customised employment is a really important aspect of that. And while I say that is that if you get the right job matching the right skills, then that person is going to be the, the most independent at work. And it's also about um, supporting all the people around them at work, you know, in the best way to, 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 make, to keep you know, that independence um, and building a natural supports in the workplace as well. Yes, absolutely. Before we wrap up, um, Donna, any words that you'd like to say to the employers who are listening? Yes, George, I, I guess just in, in finishing, I would like to encourage all employers, um, whether that is in the private um, or, or the public sector, to think about jobs that you may have um, that would accommodate people with disability. Um, so taking some of the earlier advice and, and not just looking at, we've got this particular job or position description and someone with disability couldn't do that. But flipping that around to, to look at what parts of a job or what job do we have that, that we can offer um, because there are a lot of talented people with disability and um, and and certainly a lot of people um, who are participants of our scheme would love to have that opportunity to have a job. So can I take that a step further? Can I say that employers need to not make assumptions about what disabled people can and can't do? Because I, I think that that's a major barrier. So mm. people might look at um, a person and think, oh, this job involves uh, all those things that disabled people can't do. Well, the reality is, is that we have adjusted to our environments and found agent treatment and other things that mean that we do things and achieve the same outcomes, but we do it in different ways, yeah? And often that's not understood, so we get shut out from jobs. That is very true, George. Um, um, and and assumptions can be so wrong. Um, you know, it's taken me most of my career to get to a place where, um, you know, an organisation has recognised, you know, the opportunity for me to be a leader in an organisation, um, whereas disability has always been a barrier to um, get over, you know, where, where it's like, well, you can't possibly have a management role or a leadership role if you've got a disability. How would you do that? Um, whereas, um, you know, at, at being being vision impaired or being blind, it doesn't prevent me from having those skills. And it's been wonderful to find an employer that recognises that. Absolutely. Jane, any final words for NDS participants who are thinking about employment? Yeah, certainly, George. Um, I'd probably keep it simple and I'll say one of the best things you can do and the first things you do is have a look at the NDI's website. There's a bit of uh, information about employment there, but there's a particular thing called Let's Talk About Work. It's a booklet that we developed um, a couple of years ago um, that we ask people to fill out, to think about, to take to their next planning conversation about setting a work goal. It talks about what experience you've had, what's your interests, you know, um, what, what do you, how do you, you know, 
what what sort of work do, would you like to do? So it makes it really easier for a planner and LAC to have a much more in-depth conversation with you about work, setting a goal and the sort of supports you might need. So one of the best tips is go and um, have a look at that booklet, Let's Talk About Work, take it to your planning conversation and be really clear about, you know, I want to work, What's the? how can the NDIS help, help me um, with that? I think I think that's you know what what I would encourage everyone to do, um, and I would particularly say if there are any younger people there or parents of younger people in school, likewise, don't be afraid to have the conversation with your LSE planner when you when you're sort of 15 or 16, around. Okay, I'm old enough to work now. What are my first steps, and how can the NDIS help me while I'm at school to make sure I'm ready to leave school and I, I with a job. Uh, so that that's probably the two main things I'd like to really um, that's focus great on. Advice. Absolutely, thanks, Donna, and thanks, Jenny, for your time today. And I recommend everyone listening um, uh, check out the that resource that that Jenny talked about. We'll put it on a link below. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. Thanks very thanks, much, George. It's great. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Visible and Necessary. Thank you to our podcast partner for this episode, the National Disability Insurance Agency. We love your feedback, so please hit the like button and share your thoughts with us in the comment section below. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.